Hey everyone listening, this is Mike Signorelli, your friend and your pastor, the lead pastor of V1 Church. I am so excited that you tapped that link and here's why. You are going to deepen your understanding of scripture. You are gonna grow, you are gonna learn, you are going to change. And I believe that you are destined to tap that link. I'm gonna step out on a limb because we just started this series, No Turning Back. And this message is entitled, get this, The Shame, The Pain, and the promise. All right, take a listen to what God has for you today. Hey, hey, who's so glad that they are in the house of God today? Casa de Dios. Dios te bendiga, hermanos. Espíritu Santo es fuego. ¿Cuántos saben que Dios está aquí? Come on, white people, go with me. I'm trying to make you cooler. You're so white, it's embarrassing. ¿Cuántos saben que Dios está aquí? How many of you know that God is here? Learn some Spanish, y'all. Somebody says, Santo. Yes, you know what Santo means? Holy. Santo. Man, you know what Gaete means? So, <laughs> some of you are like, yep. Um, so anyways, I'm going to preach to you just for a little while. I know we went over today. I just felt like we needed that moment. It's funny because I'm still trying to figure you guys out. Sometimes you're real loud. Sometimes you're real quiet. And you know what I'm learning is that when you're real quiet, it's because God is like bulldozing you and you don't even know what to do about it. Is any, can anyone identify? Like first service, it was like the whole service. People were like this. And I'm just like, can I get an amen? And they were like, amen. <laughs> And then after service was over in the hallway, people are bawling like, God did all this stuff. So listen, I'm, it's like if it scares you a little bit, hopefully it scares you enough to come back next week. Um, because I do believe that we are headed somewhere. And the title of this message is No Turning Back. It's episode one. If you have your Bibles, take them out to, uh, and, and turn to Joshua chapter four. Joshua chapter four. If your Bible glows, why don't you uh, tap to Joshua chapter four? And we are going to preach today. Joshua chapter four. It's in the Old Testament. There's no shame in the table of contents, y'all. Joshua chapter four. While you find that, uh, I believe this is going to be a really important word for somebody today. You know, it's funny how sometimes women will roast a man and be like, man, you don't even change your bed sheets, but then they'll go 13,000 miles without changing their oil. Amen. <laughs> when I first met my wife, she came to my college dorm room and she was like, do you even change your bed sheets? I'm like, do you even change your oil? And then like three months later, her car blew up. <laughs> I was like, I guess not. Probably gonna have to marry you to take care of you. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> that's definitely not how it went down, but whatever. <laughs> How many of you know that change is a good thing, though? It doesn't ever feel like it when it's happening. And even those of you who think you're so progressive, I can submit you to a level of change that will scare you. But we need change in our life. And something that I've been feeling is that many of us have sort of been going through the motions. Many of us have kind of been like business as usual. And every once in a while, God gets in and just disturbs your little status quo. And that's why I try to really, I try to really like, be obedient to God, because if you really knew my true personality, you would know that pretty much everything you watched me do on stage was weird to me. 
But I tell you, I, 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 I don't live by what I think is weird. I live by the results. I live by the fruit. And just knowing that AK got free first service, I mean, it's, it feels weird to be like, okay, wait a second, let me get this right. Like pills, counseling, uh, books, all these resources don't help. But then you just sing a song to God and worship and then you walk out free. Because that really doesn't make sense. And I, I hope you didn't hear me dismiss those things because we've built the kind of church where we will scholarship you to go to counseling. We believe in that. We built the kind of church where we honor medicine and we honor pills, but you will get to a place in life where the only thing that will work is the supernatural. And I don't know what it is or where it is, but I know God will bring you to a place where he'll say, guess what? You're all out of options except for me. And if you're not there yet, you're going to get there. Tell your neighbor, you're going to get there. Tell them again, you're going to get there. Because you think that you don't need God yet. But there's going to come a point where the doctors say, we don't have a pill for that. Did somebody hear me? There's going to come a point where the doctor looks at you and says, we don't have a pill for that. What you going to do? There's going to come a point where you do everything you can, power of the praying wife. Ooh, Jesus, please save him. And he still walks out the door. What you going to do? There's going to come a point where you face something in your life where God is the only option. And you know why he does that? Because he's saying, I'm going to get you to me. I'm going to get you to me. And see, what happens is when those moments of impossibility occur, it forces us to say, I can go back to Egypt and slavery, or I can go forward into, Caven, uh, into Canaan. And then you find yourself worshiping, saying, I'm no longer. And you were like, the person who doesn't praise in church, now you're the person who worships in your car because you realize that those crazy people were actually right. And if it seems crazy to you now, let me wait till you get a real dose of crazy and then you end up one of us. <laughs> I used to be the person in the back row judging everything that happened in services like this until God brought me to a place where there was no other way it was going to happen but by his hand. And then I found myself, I am surrounded by the arms of the Father. You will get to a point where that's your only option. But some of us are like, I am surrounded by self-help books that aren't helping me. You know, you'll get to a point where you can't drink your way to the other side anymore. You know, you'll get to the point where you can't even binge watch your way through it. You can't even come on somebody. And in those places, God's waiting for you. He's like, guess what? You just became a candidate for a miracle just became a candidate for a miracle. Joshua chapter four, the nation of Israel had just became candidates for a miracle. Can I give you the context before I read you Joshua chapter four to get you caught up? Joshua chapter four, leading up to it, you have Moses who years later, decades later had went to this man named Pharaoh and said, let my people, right? And then all of a sudden, the, the nation of Israel is released, and then they go into the wilderness where they're wandering around in the wilderness. You all know the story, right? And so then all of a sudden, God has a plan. He raises up this man named Joshua. And he says, Joshua is not nice like Moses. Joshua is hardcore. Joshua is like Chef Ramsay, the sanctified edition. 
He's black and white. I mean, his leadership was like, we know the heart of God. We are not deviating. And it is plain. And he begins to migrate the children of Israel out of this wandering season to the point where they get to the River Jordan. Now, let me explain the River Jordan. I was just there. I just baptized over 100 people in Israel in the River Jordan. It was an incredible experience. Very cold. <laughs> um, it's funny how God will change seasons of your life. I was there with my spiritual great-grandfather, Dwayne Vanderklok, and the whole time on this trip, I was praying, God, please let Dwayne Vanderklok uh, baptize me in the Jordan. I want to come out there and have this glorious moment and just, like, levitate to heaven. And uh, <laughs> I'm just teasing. Everyone's like, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> And it was funny because we get up to the River Jordan and Dwayne Vanderklok looks at me. And he's like, Pastor Mike, I'm not going in. You're going in and you're baptizing everyone. I was like, dang it. <laughs> so uh, it was like, OK, Padawan. But anyways, I was just in the River Jordan. And, and just to explain it to you, if you have the nation of Israel and you have to cross the River Jordan, that was impossible. There was no way to do it. You couldn't swim everyone across. You couldn't build and construct ships and come across. It was impossible. So they spent all this time wandering, and on the other side of this river is Canaan. They can see into Canaan. Now let me explain Canaan to you. The Bible calls it the land flowing with milk and mm. You know what I call it? Going from being single to being with that muscle-bound man who's massaging your back at night, whispering scripture into your ear, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be... Oh, wait, hold on. Let me check my phone. Yeah, that was just more money rolling in. Let me put that. Okay, baby, is your... how's your back feeling? That's Canaan. That's Canaan for somebody. Is that anyone's Canaan here? <laughs> that was gross. Somebody's like, yes, God. I'm like, Here's Canaan for some. Here's Canaan for somebody else. You're, you're working that job you hate. It's paying your bills. But man, you feel a calling inside of you. Now you're stepping into your calling. You had all these weird prophets come to your churches growing up telling you about you were going to change the world. And you haven't changed the world. You're just changing diapers at home and you're burnt out. And all of a sudden now you're stepping in, not just a vocation, not a career, but a calling. That's Canaan for somebody. Does somebody want their Canaan? I don't want a vocation. I don't want a career. I want a calling. Anyone want a calling? Yeah. Now does Canaan make a little bit more sense? Canaan was this destination where the children of Israel are like, but if we could get there, the grapes are so big. And you don't care about big grapes until you care about wine. Come on, somebody. This is Long Island. But it was like this place of abundance. That's just another way of saying abundance. Wouldn't it be nice to not have to check your bank account every two days for overdraft charges? Wouldn't that be nice? Nobody said amen because they don't want to out themselves. <laughs> you know, but, but that's, it, Canaan was this place of abundance. And, and it was like they had this, this story that they were telling through the generations about how we are not in Egypt anymore and we're not in slavery anymore, but, but we're also not where we should be, but we're going to be to this place called Canaan one day. And they had been hearing those stories for their entire lifetime. You know, sometimes you can hear something long enough that you stop believing it, right? Do you know that you could wait for that man to show up long enough before you stop waiting for him to show up anymore and you become the man and the woman? I, my mom was like, she got on the program. She's like, I'm going to whoop you like I was your dad and I'm going to comfort you like I was your mom. <laughs> you know, you get to that point where you're like, I ain't waiting anymore. 
And so sometimes you can get to this point where you're just like, I already tried it, it didn't work. And the children of Israel were in this place where they had tried to get to Canaan. They couldn't get to Canaan now. And this is where I'm telling you the story gets a little weird. They get up to the River Jordan. They can see Canaan on the other side. Then they have this realization, this is impossible. And you know what's worse than being in slavery to someone else's vision? Trying to do the thing God called you to do and realizing that it's impossible. That's frustrating. You know, can I be honest with you? There are some days where you're in your calling, you're in the thing you think you want, and then you say in your heart, it was easier when I was drunk. It was, you know, there are some times where you're in the marriage of your dreams with the woman of your dreams thinking it was easier when I cheated. Is this getting too real for you? Because you're all getting real quiet. But see, what happened is they get in front of the River Jordan and they and they say, man, you know, I don't know when we were in slavery in Egypt, at least we knew what to expect, because sometimes not knowing what's coming next is worse than the drudgery of the same. And see, here's what we're dealing with today, just in the next several minutes. We're dealing with the shame from our past because everyone's got an Egypt. We're dealing with the pain from our present because everyone's facing something that's impossible. But we're dealing with the promise of the future. Does anyone believe that they're going to the promise today? Joshua chapter four, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people from each tribe of man and command them saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodged tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon your shoulder. So this is like a big stone according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you, that this may be a sign among you. Now, listen, just lean in for a second. Then you shall tell this. Let me back up. When your children ask you in time to come, what did those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. You ever see that movie, The Sandlot? Forever. You want to say it with me? Forever. So that means in 2019, those stones are still a memorial to the children of Israel. Well, guess what? When you accepted Jesus Christ, you got engrafted into the family. So can I tell you your family history? Can I tell you where you came from today? Father Abraham had many sons and they're sitting in the movie theater right now. I am one of them and so are you. You have a family history. You have a lineage. And I'm going to tell you the story of your spiritual family. The children of Israel, they came from Egypt and slavery. The biblical definition of slavery is serving another man's vision other than God's for your life. That's what it was. It was them serving Pharaoh's vision instead of serving God's vision. So the definition of slavery is whose vision are you serving? Uh, if, you, if you watch pornography, you are serving someone else's vision. There's some habits that we hate that are going to be broken in the next 10 minutes. There's some, I'm telling you, if you feel the pressure to go out and keep up with the Joneses because your neighbor got something, you're serving their vision, not God's vision for your life. 
If you're driving a car that equals half or more than your total annual income, you're serving someone else's vision, not God's for your life. And then you're telling God why you can't be generous, but you've already been generous to the bank. Come on, somebody, I'm going deep today. It, what, when Israel was under Egypt, they were serving Pharaoh's vision. They didn't do the thing God wanted them to do. They gave the thing that Pharaoh wanted them to do. If you are serving the God of capitalism, you cannot serve the God of Israel. There are two different gods. The Bible says you can't have two masters. You can only serve one because you will love the one and hate the other. So to fall, it doesn't say money's evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. You, God can give you a lot of money and you can still hate greed and love God while he increases your wealth. Which God are you serving? Which God are you serving? And so the thing I'm here to tell you is that we have shame from our past because we serve another God and they're a cruel taskmaster and they make us do things we hate and they make us become people we don't want to become. And that's what the nation of Israel was under slavery is they looked like something they didn't want to look like. They lived like how they didn't want to live. And then they didn't have any inheritance, any legacy to pass on to their children. And maybe this is too deep for somebody. But the hallmark of their time in, in Egypt was they passed no legacy. They couldn't own anything, so they couldn't pass anything. And I don't know who this is for, but sometimes the greatest freedom in your life comes when you start building tangible legacy because now you have something to pass. And many of us are orphaned in this world because we never were passed anything, never inherited anything. There was no values in our family. We were raised in this place devoid of knowledge. The Bible says that where there is no vision, the people what? They die. Some of you are spiritually and emotionally dead because your parents had no vision for you. Your teachers, they had no vision for you. They were burnt out just like your parents were burnt out. Some of you here under the sound of my voice, maybe people who are watching online right now, your parents died premature deaths and they left you with a void of their absence, not with a legacy of inheritance. This is deep. But then if you can get out of Egypt, you will find yourself in front of the, the River Jordan. You know, let me just tell you my story. And I'm going to kind of close it out like this. And we're going to talk about the stones that you leave for remembrance. Somehow, after a year and a half of marriage counseling, I sat in a session with my wife years ago. And the marriage counselor looked at us and said, I think this is our last session. We're done. And I said, did you hear the conversation Julie and I had on the way here? <laughs> but, you know, it was funny because we had got enough freedom to get more freedom. See, the gift of consistency is more consistency. The gift of freedom is more freedom. The gift of generosity is more generosity. And see, what happened was we went on this year and a half journey of freedom in our marriage, and then we got free enough to get released from marriage counseling. It felt like I got off of parole. <laughs> I was like, praise God. I, I didn't even think it was possible. I'm like, wait, what? We don't come back next week? What happens? How do we stay married? And I'm like, well, we just taught you that for the last year and a half, and we think you know it now. And it's always hilarious to me and Julie that many of you draw strength from our marriage. We're like, isn't that funny? They think we're role models now. <laughs> Can't even stand you. <laughs> but what happened was sometimes, and you don't have to shout me down, but sometimes just being normal is the miracle. You can come from so much dysfunction that you're like, Honey, we just ate a dinner and nobody broke a plate. Yay, God, I'm no longer a slave. 
when your wife's buying plastic dishes for like a decade because you're you're crazy. And then she goes to Ikea and buys a dish that can break and you don't break it. God is a banner of freedom over my life. But here's what I'm saying. We got to this point where we got enough freedom and life actually started looking normal. God restored me back to ministry. God brought me to this place where I was growing in influence. I was getting opportunities again to speak and preach all over the world. And it was like, whoa, this is crazy. And we were living in a house in Chesterton, Indiana, and, and life just started to get normal again. Now, on the other side of this, I was being radically accountable. At one point, I ported over my number to my wife's number so that every text and phone call I got went to her phone to keep me accountable. Come on, I just being real. I hope somebody gets free here. If, if, let me put it like this. If you're married here and your spouse doesn't know the passcode to your phone, you're in sin. I don't even need to tell you. If you think you have your own business, you're not ready to have your own business. Somebody tweet that. If you think you have your own business, you're not ready to have your own business. You know what? My business is everyone's business. The closer you get to me now, the more God you're going to see. Come on, somebody. The closer you get to me, be like, I didn't know he prayed that much. That's crazy. But it used to be different used to be you got close enough to see the brokenness, the humanity, and some of that brokenness and humanity is still there, but you know what I'm talking about, that closeted stuff. And I got free from all that. And I was living free for the first time and life started to get normal for me and my wife. And I was like, man, this is nuts. I mean, I'll be, I don't know why I'm being so honest because I got to end this sermon, but I got to a point my, where if, with my marriage to Julie where I didn't think I could even be in love with her anymore. You ever get, you can get to this point where you're just like, I think I can be with her, but I can't be in love with her. And I went on this long journey and the Lord was like, son, you never seen marriage done right, but I am your teacher. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. See, we forgot because we love to read books. Books are great, but what about the Holy Spirit's voice? He'll teach you some things that aren't in any book right now. And I started going on a journey. You could slow clap that in Pentecostals. But I got to the point where I literally started falling in love with my wife again and feeling those butterflies again. And I was like, dang, rawr. <laughs> what? And, and I, I remember just being, and I was submitted and surrendered to my pastor. My disease of my soul was self-ambition. I was always trying to build my own silo, build my own ministry, build my own thing. I was always like, I couldn't submit. I was like a spiritual rebel, like a Johnny Cash, a lone, lone ranger. And I got to this point where I was like, just, you know, oh, here's the habit somebody hates, the, the addiction to self. I was addicted to me. And you know, usually people who are addicted to me are people who have been through so much hurt that you're like, y'all didn't love me right, so I'm gonna try to love me right. I don't know who this is for. Somebody's getting free right now. I just gotta come off the rails. I'm, I'm talking about Joshua chapter four though, because this is your Jordan River. This is your impossibility. Sometimes when other people fail miserably at loving you, you get to this point where you're, hey, let me tell you, you're, you're trapped in the demonic lie of treat yourself. <laughs> And you didn't know it was demonic. You thought it was helping you. But actually what it's doing is building up brick by brick a wall around you where no one else is going to be able to love you as good as you love yourself. And you're going to repeat the cycle of rejection when it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because guess what? Julie did fail me. I failed Julie. After all this romantic story, I'm telling you, we're still two human beings trying to be in a relationship that models the love of Christ for his church. My microphone back, devil. I'm on a mission today. I don't care. I'll stand next to it. 
I am so sick and tired of my best words getting robbed from me in this church. I'm here to tell you that the devil is a liar, but the truth is in this space right now. I don't know who this is for, but there is a time when you come up to the River Jordan and you say, I am going to cross this river. I know I don't have the ability, the talent, the money, the resources, the relationship. I know I can't politic my way through this river. I know that I can't cross this by any means. I know my dad never crossed this river. My grandfather never crossed this river. My great-grandfather never crossed this river, but I'm going to cross this river. I wish you would start praying, playing some gospel music because I feel like I can run all over this church right now. There comes a point where you look at the river of impossibility and say I'm not what I used to be. I'm not what I should be, but I believe the promise. I believe I'm getting to the other side of this. Let me come over here and hang out with my friend. So because this is so Yes. Here's why it's important. It's so important that you get this today because Julie and I are on a bike trail. You guys can take your seat. Just give me two more minutes. Two. All of a sudden, Julie and I are on this bike trail in Chesterton, Indiana. And as we're on this bike trail and life is normal, my wife literally tells me, hey, I need us, I, I asked you to come, come on this bike trail to go on this little date with me because there's something I want to reveal to you. And I'm like, oh, snaps. This is the first time life's ever been normal for us. Like, you know, you ever get that feeling in the pit of your stomach where stuff drops like, oh, no, not again. So all of a sudden we pull off the side of the bike trail with our bikes and we're sitting down and we're at this um, little curb, like kind of bench thing and she looks at me and she's like Mike every single time that you verbally abused me every single time that you made a mistake every single time that you messed up I recorded it in this journal and she takes out a journal and man that sucker was thick some of you would have a whole library I had like a thick journal and it was like everything that I did in my marriage to fail her she had recorded it and part of it is she's expressing, now I'm sitting there thinking, I'm starting to feel so much shame because I'm looking at the physical representation of my Egypt. The time when I was serving a vision for this world, the vision of pornography, the vision of lust and perversion. I was serving this taskmaster Pharaoh that got me to buy into a value system that wasn't God's value system. And I made a whole bunch of stupid mistakes under Pharaoh's rule. And I'm looking at like, this was like the chronicles of Mike's failures.com. And my wife's holding this and she's saying, every single time you said something to me, I recorded it verbatim because I needed proof that I wasn't crazy. Because somebody, you know, sometimes you can be with someone crazy and it makes you feel like you're crazier than you know you, you're not. And Julie got to this point where she's holding this thing and she's like, I got just enough freedom to get more freedom. Because every, I, even though we got released from marriage counseling, I still held on to this journal because there was something inside of me that said he's going to do it again. He's going to repeat it. But the Lord told me, Michael, it's time to trust you again. You earn just enough trust to get more trust. Because the reward of trust is more trust. The reward of consistency is more consistency. And it was like as a family, we were moving from the shame of the past, the pain of our present circumstance, into Canaan. 
But see, what had happened was every single time we were in marriage counseling, and even when we got released from it, I felt this block between me and Julie. I could still feel it. It was like something's not right. I'm going through the motions. I, I, and, I, and in my heart, I knew she still hadn't really forgiven me yet. She still hadn't really released it yet. And I knew I didn't deserve it. I knew I actually deserved divorce. And I, I knew that I, I wasn't worthy of that. But still, we had said we were going to make it try and or make it work, and we were going to try. And now I'm looking at this thing, and it represents represents my freedom now that same thing that represented impossibility has now represented my freedom that same thing that that reminded me of my past now reminds me of a miracle in my past and see the reason why I read you the chapter 4 of Joshua is because at first it was just the river of impossibility but then as they crossed over on the other side Joshua said put a stone there for remembrance so that when your children ask you what happened on that bike trip Chesterton, Indiana. You'll say, oh, that's where a miracle happened because chains were broken, generational curses were broken. That's where mom forgave dad and then we were released into the next season to go plant V1 Church. Let's bring it down. Let's bring it down. And so what happens is this. I'm going to teach you one last thing. I got just a few more minutes. Joshua did something really weird. They came up to the River Jordan. And I can imagine the rational-minded people are like, let's build boats. Let's teach everyone how to swim and hold hands. Let's do whatever we can. But then finally, the word of the Lord came to Joshua, and he got this revelation. He said, take the Ark of the Covenant, which was the housing of the glory of God. Put it upon the, the shoulders of the priests and walk it into the waters. And all of a sudden, he said, as you walk it into the waters, the waters are going to recede, and the impossible is going to become possible. And the Bible gives account that all of a sudden, the Ark of the Covenant, this, this thing was like a, an enclosure that represented the manifest real presence of God on earth. And so they take the presence of of God. Does anyone hear me preach it today? They take the presence of God into the waters of impossibility and then all of a sudden the waters begin to recede. And so here's what I believe that the Lord wants to, you to hear today. You have tried it every other way but I dare you to take God's presence into your situation. I dare you to invite his presence into your life. I dare you to invite his presence into your marriage, into your addiction. Right before you get ready to do that habit that you hate, I dare you to invite his presence into those waters with you because the thing that you couldn't solve on your own the thing that you couldn't do on your own there's going to be a grace because and you know how I know this the river Jordan represents grace the river Jordan represents grace because sometime later the new covenant, Jesus Christ himself. It was no longer a representation in a box or an enclosure. It was God wrapped in flesh. All of a sudden says, I got an appointment. I'm going back to the place that the children of Israel were delivered the first time. I'm going back there again to the river Jordan. All of a sudden, Jesus himself gets baptized in the river Jordan. And I believe that as Israel, the Israelites who saw him going down in that water, there was a flashback in their history. They saw those stones for remembrance and said, whoa it was Joshua that brought us from here to there but it's going to be Jesus that takes us into the true promised land and sets us free forever the new covenant happened 
And if you've been trying to do life without Jesus, ministry, there's ministers doing ministry without Jesus. There's worship leaders leading worship without Jesus. There's husbands and wives doing marriage without Jesus. There's people who are single without Jesus. And he's funny because when Jesus gets Jesus, he goes to Sunday service, but some of us don't even show up to Sunday service. But you see what happens when people get Jesus, it changes their life and they can't wait to tell everyone about it. And there's a freedom that's coming over somebody here today. Well, what a powerful time with God. I believe you just had. I know that he spoke something into your life. And listen, you could probably hear at the end, the microphone started going out. That's not a problem that we ever have because we've got professional grade gear. But I do believe that something or someone didn't want you to hear that message. I'm so glad I switched mics and we made it happen. But if you got to the end, I know that God spoke a revelation and a truth in your life that you desperately need to hear. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to sow into someone else's life. This is how you further your freedom. This is how you take it to the next level. The Bible says, if you sow a little bit, you reap a little bit. If you sow a lot, you reap a lot. And here's how I want you to do that. Just two ways. I want you to consider number one, taking this message, sending it to somebody who's in desperate need of it. Because if you will just DM it to them, comment on their comments, post it on your Facebook, like send it in text whatever you are investing in someone else's life and when you refresh other people you yourself will be refreshed the other thing is v1 church has partners from all around the world literally people who have said financially i will support the work that's happening in new york city and abroad and here's how you can do that you can actually hit up our website and you can click give and you can give financially so that we can continue to reach more people with messages just like this thank you so much for everyone who already has. I love you guys and I cannot wait to see you next week.